0: Thanks for listening to the Intelligence Squared U.S. podcast. Summer is a time to discover new beaches, new adventures, and new podcasts. The TED Radio Hour, hosted by Guy Raz, is an hour of new ways to think and create with fresh approaches to old problems. Ready to explore? Dig into the TED Radio Hour podcast. Find it now on iTunes, along with other NPR podcasts. So, look at all of the ways that Americans can use their own money to give themselves a voice in politics. They can buy TV time, they can pay to get books written, they can put ads in the newspaper, they can put up yard signs. And here is the argument about that it doesn't seem fair that people with the most money get to have the loudest voices. It seems like it would be corrupting, it seems un American. But here is the counter argument. It doesn't seem fair to tell people how much of their own money they can spend to say what they want because that sounds like censorship and that seems un-American. That sounds like it has the makings of a debate, so let's have it. Yes or no to this statement. Individuals and organizations have a constitutional right to unlimited spending on their own political speech. A debate from Intelligence Squared US. I'm John Donvan. We are here at the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia. We have two teams of two, superbly qualified all, arguing for and against the motion Individuals and organizations have a constitutional right to unlimited spending on their own political speech. Our debate, as always, goes in three rounds, and then the audience votes to choose the winner, and only one side wins. Let's meet our debaters. On the team arguing for the motion that individuals and organizations do have this constitutional right, please, let's welcome first Floyd Abrams. Floyd, you are one of the most important First Amendment lawyers, litigators in the country. You represented the New York Times in the Pentagon Papers case. You represented Senator Mitch McConnell in Citizens United in your book, which was called Speaking Freely. Uh, you said that you, when you were going to college in the mid 1950s, you were actually not that much of a First Amendment supporter. So, what actually changed your mind?
1: A time came in the late 1960s when I met a bunch of journalists. Uh, I was very impressed, almost awed, by what they were doing, the skill with which they were doing it, and the national service that I thought they were doing by supporting the First Amendment.
0: We journalists aren't hearing that very much these days, so let me just say thank you. Well, thank you, Floyd Abrams. And
1: and Floyd, who is your partner? Uh, My partner. I am very honoured to be with one of the great civil liberties lawyers, and I mean this in the country's history, Nadine Strassen.
0: Please welcome Nadine Strassen. Nadine, you are also here to argue that individuals and organizations have a constitutional right to unlimited spending on their own speech. You are a professor of law at New York Law School, and you were president of the ACLU, the nation's largest, oldest uh, civil liberties organization for 18 years. First woman, uh, youngest to ever hold that position. Now, on free speech, that organization, the ACLU... Um, has often found itself to be at odds with some of its seemingly natural allies. And on this one also, money and political speech, it seems that there is this split. So how difficult was it for you to stick to the First Amendment side of this argument while – you Know, facing your friends at the ACLU.
2: Not at all difficult. I've been doing this uh, since at least the late 1970s when the ACLU controversially and successfully defended the free speech rights of Nazis to march in Skokie, Illinois. I have enormous faith in free speech and I love to try to spread that.
0: So you are being consistent by yes, being here thank tonight. You. Thank you, Nadine Strassen. The team arguing for the motion. And now the team arguing against this motion that individuals, organizations, have a constitutional right to unlimited spending on their own political speech. Please, let's first welcome Bert Newborn. Bert, you are one of the nation's foremost civil liberties lawyers. You're a professor at New York University School of Law. You're the founding legal director of the Brennan Center for Justice, a former national legal director of the ACLU. So... Bert, almost sort of the same question, but the flip side. On most issues, you would probably be on the other side of the of the stage here with your with your opponents. On this issue you disagree. So where are they getting it wrong?
3: Well, maybe they're not getting it wrong. This is an issue that divides the free speech community, and it's a very, very hard one. Where I think they've gone wrong um, is that they're willing to tolerate uh, the degree of inequality that uncontrolled spending brings into the democracy, and I think it destroys any notion of a truly egalitarian Which democracy. Which sounds like
0: we're getting into your opening statement, so <laughs> I'm going to stop you right there. Thanks very much, Bert Newborn. And Bert, your, uh, your teammate is?
3: Oh, my teammate uh, is my colleague at Fordham Law School, Zephyr Teachout.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, um, Zephyr Teachout. Zephyr, you are also arguing against the motion that individuals and organizations have this constitutional right to spend as much money as they want on speech, political speech. You're a professor of law at Fordham University. You were the first national director of the Sunline Foundation. Before that... You've been dabbling in politics. You made a name for yourself as director of online organizing for Howard Dean's 2004 presidential bid. You're an academic, but you're dabbling in politics again. Uh, You are running against Andrew Cuomo for governor of New York in the Democratic ticket. What made you decide to get back into politics?
4: Well, I see in Albany, in New York, unfortunately, that money in politics has too much power, and it's um, really undermining the democracy of New York.
0: Also arguing and consistent from principle. Ladies and gentlemen, Zephyr, teach out. So this is a debate. It's a contest. It's a competition of ideas well argued. And you, our live audience here in Philadelphia at the National Constitutional Center, will be our judges. By the time the debate is ended, you will have voted twice, once before the debate and once again after the debate. In our, in our debates, it's the team whose numbers have changed the most between the opening and closing votes who will be declared our winner. Up first, arguing for the motion, individuals and organizations have a constitutional right to unlimited spending on their own political speech. Nadine Strassen, she is a professor of law at New York Law School and former president of the American Civil Liberties Union. Ladies and gentlemen, Nadine Strassen.
2: Thank you. I'm delighted to be here at the National Constitution Center defending a proposition that is supported by the Constitution's grand opening words. You all know them we, the people. As those words underscore, we individuals are sovereign. Therefore, we have no right more essential than the right to engage in our own political speech, speech about public affairs, speech about political campaigns. Especially essential is our right to criticize candidates, officials, and policies. Therefore, it's hard to imagine a greater violation of our precious free speech rights than for the government in other words, incumbent officials, to limit our right to criticize them and their policies or to limit our right to advocate alternatives. It's likewise anathema for government to limit our right to band together with other like-minded individuals to amplify our voices. The Supreme Court first so held in landmark cases from the civil rights era involving the NAACP, which was a corporation. In sum then, what I've said so far, individuals and our organizations clearly have a constitutional right to unlimited political speech. So that means there's only one aspect of tonight's resolution that's really at issue, and that is whether we also have a constitutional right to unlimited spending in support of our political speech. But logically, the answer to that question clearly has to be yes. Because unlimited spending is a prerequisite for unlimited speech. When the government limits how much we may spend on our speech, it necessarily limits the speech itself in quantity and or quality. Every communication requires some spending. And since costly TV ads are so important in election campaigns, you have to spend a lot to reach a critical mass of the voters. So for government to limit what we may spend on our own political speech, including our criticism and our dissent, is for the government to limit our criticism and dissent. And that violates not only the rights of all of us dissidents, but also the rights of everyone to hear us For these reasons, please vote yes on the motion for unlimited political speech and therefore the unlimited spending that facilitates it, and against government limits on what we, the people, may say and hear about it.
0: Thank you, Nadine Strassen. Uh, Our motion is individuals and organizations have a constitutional right to unlimited spending on their own political speech. And here to debate against this motion, Burt Newborn. He is the Milholland Professor of Civil Liberties and the founding legal director of the Brennan Center for Justice at New York University School of Law. Ladies and gentlemen, Burt Newborn.
3: Thank you, John. I, too, am delighted to be at the National Constitutional Center. Uh, I, too, care about we the people. Uh, I like to think I care about we all the people, uh, not just the people that have enough money to be able to engage in the kind of speech uh, that uh, occurs when you have utterly unlimited uh, amounts of spending. In the last election cycle, $6 billion was spent on campaigning. Of that $6 billion, almost 99 percent came from 1% of the population with the capacity to spend enough money to be able to bring their views um, into powerful play in the electoral process. Of that, one-tenth of 1% contributed vast amounts uh, of that $6 billion, many of it unreported because of loopholes in the discovery laws. And of that, 569 billionaires maxed out Um, in a way in which they contributed vast sums and spent vast sums in impressing the rest of us with their views. Now, that means a small group of Americans has the ability to decide who gets to run for office because there's a wealth primary unless you can convince the rich to support you. You cannot run for office. They have a disproportionate effect on who wins, because they can control the speech patterns um, in ways that allow them to speak to the community in an effective way, even though their opponents may not be able to do so. And they control what we see and hear, because they set the agenda. Because if they don't agree, then they simply don't support the candidate in the first place. Now, every election is turned into a one-dollar, vote election, unless there are some restrictions, some restrictions on what people can spend. Uh, in asserting their own views. Now, it doesn't have to be this way. It's correct for us to talk about constitutional law. What does the First Amendment actually say about the proposition that we're talking about tonight? It says, Congress shall make no law um, abridging the freedom of speech. We can't read it literally because that would mean only Congress would be covered by the First Amendment, not the president, not the governor, not the cop on the beat. So we, don't, we can't read it literally. And then it says, shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. Not abridging speech, but abridging the freedom of speech. Some human being must make a judgment about what goes in that protected um, uh, category and what does not.
0: I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on American shores. Stay with us. And here's a reminder of where we are. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this motion. Individuals and organizations have a constitutional right to unlimited spending on their own political speech. You have heard the first two debaters, and now on to the third. At the lectern, Floyd Abrams. He is a partner at Cahill, Gordon, and Rindell. And he represented Senator Mitch McConnell in Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission. Ladies and gentlemen, Floyd Lloyd Abrams.
1: It's perfectly true to say that people with money have more influence and power than people who don't. That's the way of the world. How do we deal with that? We can deal with equality as best we can as a public. We can have laws. Some of them we have already. Uh, We can have better laws about people being able to vote instead of closing polls early in the day, uh, we can limit the money if that's what we're after. We can have higher taxes. Uh, I'm not advocating anything today. I'm just saying it doesn't violate the First Amendment to have a wealth tax. It doesn't violate the First Amendment to have tougher antitrust laws. It does violate the First Amendment to limit speech. And that is what the negative side of this proposition necessarily is urging on you. What is the argument? Too few people have too much power. And therefore, what? They should not be allowed to speak as much as their money might allow. Or to put it differently, because they have more money and are prepared to spend it on political speech, our Congress, the very people, have the most direct personal interest in passing legislation which will keep them in power, that the Congress can pass constitutional legislation limiting the amount of their speech. The Supreme Court put it very well in 1976. In the Buckley case, I want to read you one line. The court said, "...the concept that the government may restrict the speech of some elements in our society in order to enhance the relative voice of others... is wholly foreign to the First Amendment. And these were not the five supposedly rabid right-wing conservatives... who gave us Citizens United. This was Justice Brennan. This was Justice Thurgood Marshall. This was Justice Potter Stewart. Three of the most stalwart defenders of the First Amendment in our history... And what they were saying is, you can deal with the equality problem in lots of ways, but the one way you can't deal with it is by shutting up the voices of others or limiting the voices of others. One of the First Amendment principles that's first is hurt speech last. So I urge you to vote yes on this resolution.
0: Thank you, Floyd Abrams. And the resolution is this, individuals and organizations have a constitutional right to unlimited spending on their own political speech. And here to argue against this motion, Zephyr Teachout, she is an associate professor of law at Fordham Law School and a former national director of the Sunlight Foundation. Ladies and gentlemen, Zephyr Teachout.
4: I've spent a lot of time reading the transcripts of the debates at the Constitutional Convention. And there's one fear that dominated over every fear, and that was the fear of corruption. They talked about corruption more often than they talked about violence, more often than they talked about the threat of faction, and they even talked about the current problems of the day, that the threat was that this beautiful new country would fall victim to the power of money to distract representatives from their job to attend to the public good the same way that they had seen Britain do. If you look at the Constitution, there's not just the First Amendment when it comes to money in politics. There's dozens of clauses, and each of these clauses is communicating that what the founders cared about was protecting against this thing, which is the danger to all republics. For the next 200 years in this country, courts understood that protecting against... Corruption was one of the core jobs of law itself. And so you would never see a lobbying case or a money in politics case without a serious investigation of whether the laws at issue or the structures at issue might lead representatives to forget their obligations to the public and instead serve other masters. 200 years after 1776 and 1976, you saw courts starting to forget that. My objection to the proposition is not what's in it, it's what's not in it. It's you can't talk about the First Amendment without also talking about why it's there and without also talking about the ways in which it might lead to money taking over this extremely precious and rare thing, which is representative democracy. So starting in 1976, the character of money in politics has gradually dwindled and become smaller and smaller in all our court cases. Until recently in Citizens United and McCutcheon versus FEC, where the great tradition of the First Amendment is weighed against basically a corruption which uh, the justices call the same as bribery law instead of the old corruption that our, our founders understood. So I urge you to reject this proposition because so much is at stake, representative democracy itself.
0: Thank you. Zephyr Tichak, your time is up. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our motion is individuals and organizations have a constitutional right to unlimited spending on their own political speech. Keep in mind how you voted at the beginning of the evening. Again, we're going to have you vote immediately after all of the arguments. And it's the team whose numbers have changed the most in percentage point terms who will be declared our winner. Now we go on to round two, and round two is where the debaters address one another uh, directly and take questions from me and from you in the audience. We have in this second round two teams of two debating this motion. Individuals and organizations have a constitutional right to unlimited spending on their own political speech. You've heard the arguments for this motion from Floyd Abrams and Nadine Strassen. They have argued that, uh, yes, Very likely the fact that the rich would have more of a voice in a marketplace uh, where there's no limit to spending. Uh, They would have that louder voice, and that's a real problem. But they say the solution cannot be the limiting of what they spend on that voice because that runs right into something called the First Amendment. They say, if anything, that amendment was conceived to protect political speech, which is the essence of self-government. This team arguing against the motion, Bert Newborn and Zephyr Teachout, they are saying that there can and should be limits on spending for speech in politics because they're arguing that spending uh, is more than just speech, it's actually action. It's the accumulation of power and that this has consequences, particularly when the source of that power, the source of that money are large corporations driven by their own profits. They also make a philosophical argument that whatever the text of the First Amendment may say, that there are values that fight corruption embedded in the Constitution's history and its own philosophy, and that those also have standing in this debate. I want to go to the team that is arguing against the motion. You're arguing. Uh, in other words, you're arguing for um, the government being able to limit the spending on speech. And as I said, your, your opponents are saying the First Amendment is your problem on this argument. And your response to this is, is what? Is it that the First Amendment is not a problem to this argument, that the First Amendment is irrelevant, or is it that it's a problem that can be worked with uh, Bert Newborn.
3: Well, the First Amendment is the central thing we have to think about. It is the text that the, that the Constitution uh, has that gives us the answer. But the answer is not self evident in the, in the First Amendment. It's not as though um, God spoke from the mountaintop, and we know that the First Amendment says that unlimited spending is, is um, protected under the First Amendment. The text itself doesn't say so. Our history for 200 years doesn't say so. The Constitutional Convention doesn't say so. Um, And representative democracy doesn't say so. So it's not that the First Amendment, uh, it's not that we have to get around the First Amendment. It's that they're misreading the First Amendment. Read correctly, the First Amendment is democracy's best friend. And they are reading it as a kind of conspiracy to destroy it. Um, and therefore, well, well, that's, I think we that's, have, very, we have very
2: different views of democracy. Again, and, and, and I think there is something extremely uh, paternalistic and anti-democratic in the assumptions that uh, both of my esteemed colleagues are, are making, that uh, they're assuming that just because somebody spends a lot of money on ads that we the people are going to be duped and necessarily vote for that person or if information gets out that somebody has received a lot of campaign contributions and is voting accordingly that we the people are going to support that politician, the record speaks to the contrary. Uh, look at Eric Kim. Exhibit A, very recently, vastly outspent his unknown opponent. Was supported by all of the big corporate interests, and yet uh, that money was drowned out by the local grassroots. Nadine, you're,
0: you're you're acting the pragmatics of, of of what your opponents are saying, but they're also making the point that the text doesn't actually the text the doesn't te- actually protect spending.
2: The, the text talks about Congress may shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. The Supreme Court consistently and correctly has said that Any measure that abridges, i.e. cuts back on speech, makes it more difficult and burdensome to engage in speech, is an abridgment. If you are told that you cannot spend as much money as you would like to speak as much and effectively as you would like, that clearly is an abridgment.
0: That's a coherent and logical argument. Does the text not say, as Nadine just spelled out, and I said coherently that the Congress may not pass any law abridging freedom of speech. Is that not clear-cut?
3: I'll let uh, Newborn take It's thinking. not
0: clear-cut. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, Newborn.
3: Um, she left out the three most important words. It, the, the First Amendment doesn't say Congress shall, not, shall pass no law abridging speech. If that's what it said, they couldn't outlaw extortion, they couldn't outlaw bribery, they couldn't outlaw threats. It says Congress shall pass no law abridging the freedom of speech. The freedom of speech is not a self-evident idea. You have to figure out what goes inside the freedom of speech and what goes outside the freedom of speech. Otherwise, why are those three words there? But
1: but what you're missing is that the one area of speech which is most protected is political speech. There's nothing that we protect more than that. There's no area in which we give the Congress less leeway to act for a variety of reasons, not least that the single most important purpose for adopting the First Amendment was as a protection against the government, against the government influencing, affecting, limiting, chilling speech. That's why... Thomas Jefferson, sitting in Paris, said he wouldn't support the Constitution at all unless there was a Bill of Rights which contained a clear, unambiguous, what became, the First Amendment.
0: But Floyd, let me take to to the point that your opponents made in their opening statement, that that spending is not just speech, it's actually action – and it's the accrual of power. It's the imposition of views and that these have consequences. And that it's, it's doing, not just talking. And that therefore,
1: I, I'm taking it the point being this overleaps just the issue of the First Amendment. It's not just uh, talking. Speech has impact. A lot of speech does harm. I mean, we live in a country that protects, what, pornography, that protects Nazi speech, Uh, We live in a country that uh, protects... I I was thinking of the movie The Wolf on Wall Street uh, because of all the reference to corruption. No one in this country would imagine saying that, you know, a movie that makes corruption look pretty good uh, and drugs rather attractive uh, uh, can be banned because of its pro-corruption in some way. This country doesn't. Think that way. It is wholly foreign to the First Amendment to say that, you know, too much speech is too dangerous. Let's, it can yeah. do harm. Let's let Zefra well, let's 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 respond Floyd, to some Floyd, there's, a,
4: there's something that you Jeffrey repeatedly do, which is sort of make an elision between unlimited speech and speech itself. And And if you go back to the founding era and the first 200 years of this country... There is a great support for actually defining rules and limits like you need a 7-year residency before you can run for certain offices. You can't have elections without districts, but that doesn't mean you need unlimited districts. But is that for that who figures the Who figures
0: out then what the, the limits are for some rich guy or a company or a union? The
4: the key is the people. And Floyd talks about the government as if the government is some alien other as opposed to one of the most extraordinary places in world history where we have figured out in our fumbling way but pretty well how to have the government actually represent the will Can you hold on for just one second because
0: I'm going to bring it right back to you. But I just want to have you say your two sentences because I heard you whisper.
4: Oh, sorry. (laughs) The government
2: is the other. Okay. It is accountable to us. And we have to hold it accountable by being able to have unlimited criticism.
0: Okay, can, okay, okay, have... okay. I'm, I'm stopping you there because this was only an insert in Zephyr's point, so I'm going to let you continue.
4: Yeah, I, I don't want to limit the kinds of criticism. I want to empower the public, the people, to say, we need certain kinds of rules about bribery. We have them. And, and those rules about bribery implicate speech, but they're important rules. And one of those rules about bribery, the founding fathers would have thought of all our campaign finance laws as anti-bribery laws. That's how, how Teddy Roosevelt talked about them. And that's how all the progressive uh, populists talked about them, is understanding that these are anti-bribery laws. Because whether or not you're in the same room and having a quid pro quo, you know that somebody's Basic obligation to the public is lost when there's $2 million spent to quash their campaign from a private interest. Nadine, Well, bribery is already a
2: crime. The far broader concept of corruption that uh, Zephyr has advocated here is one that says any time there happens to be an overlap between a position that somebody who contributes to a campaign uh, advocates and what the candidate advocates, that's corruption – That's not corruption, that is democracy in action. We spend money in support of candidates or issues because we agree with the positions they have already taken. When they are in office, they take those positions. They listen to their constituents. And by the way, every study that's been done to try to show a connection between spending and action shows that politicians are most influenced by their party, by their ideology, and by their constituents, not by donors. So, Bert Newborn,
0: your opponents are saying not only do you want to abrogate the First Amendment, which they consider an illegitimate move, but that you're doing it without a very good reason, that the problem isn't what you say it is.
3: Um if I had enough money to buy more time on this program, if I could have 12 minutes and Floyd could only have six, <laughs> <laughs> I would do much better in this debate.
1: So would um, I.
3: And <laughs> um, the fact of the matter is money buys influence. Um, why do you think large corporations give to both Republicans and Democrats? You think it's because of seventh grade civics?
0: But we're not talking about that kind, of, that kind of political money where they're giving to the parties. We're talking about a group like moveon.org making a documentary or somebody buying an ad in the newspaper. The idea
3: that you were somehow not um, uh, influenced by and not have <coughs> enormously grateful to some person who has independently spent money to put you into office is a fiction. There's no difference between contributions and independent spending in the sense that the, the, the politician who knows that his or her staying in office depends on continuing to get that money, um, that's a politician who can't do what Zephyr said the founders wanted. The founders wanted, maybe this is an ideal that is impossible to achieve, but the founders wanted a representative democracy where the representatives would think, what's good for us all? What is the common good? What's the best thing to do? Not what's my largest donor want,
0: I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on American shores. The motion is, individuals and organizations have a constitutional right to unlimited spending on their own political speech. Join us online at iq2us.org to vote on the motion and keep the debate going. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. The motion is, Individuals and organizations have a constitutional right to unlimited spending on their own political speech. Welcome back to the program. Sir, right in the middle, uh, you've got a blue blazer on. My name is David Keating. I'd like to go back
1: to the text for a minute and ask you, this idea that you can limit money or limit speech, would, if, you, if that principle is right, What does that mean for the free uh, exercise of religion and freedom of press? Does this mean that Congress could limit the amount of money spent on religion and publishing?
0: Okay, I'm taking it that's a question for the side arguing against the motion. That's a Um, great
1: question.
4: The, The speech, the freedom of speech that I see is a freedom to speak about politics, about any issue in any way you want without government censorship. And we've seen two equivalences here that I think are very dangerous equivalences, and they get sort of snuck in. One is that ads are speech, and the other is that constituents... Wait, just just, just for some clarity, why
0: why are ads not speech? Well, let, let, let me try. Okay, your, just for the radio audience knowing, your partner is taking this oh, question. Oh,
4: so yes, my partner's taking this question, although I'm happy to pile on.
3: <laughs> All right, Bert Newborn. Um, a metaphor. Um, um, suppose I had a huge megaphone uh, or, an, or uh, some way to amplify my speech, and I kept turning it up, and I kept turning it up, and it kept getting louder, and it kept getting louder. At some point, although I was technically involved in speech, I would be involved in an exercise of power. Um, And so what I'm saying is that at some point spending morphs into power when it is so high okay. that what you're doing no. is no. repeating yeah, over and over and over. Not over. Right.
2: That's not right. All right, completely- hold it, hold
0: it. Nadine is ready to go with it's, it. It's the not a fair Strossen.
2: analogy because then um, that's why I reject this drowning out metaphor that's often used to, uh, by my opponents here. Because it is true that if I shouted really loud, then maybe you wouldn't literally be able to hear them. That is literally a drowning out. But to amplify speech by spending more money so that it reaches more people or that it's more effectively created and is more persuasive does not drown out anybody else's speech. Moreover, it does
4: not translate mechanically into... The argument they're making is so radical. I want to talk about how radical this is because it is against what constitutional lawyers thought for the first 200 years of this country. And that they recognized the importance of protecting the ability to speak one's conscience did not, did not extend to the ability to spend unlimited money. These are separate ideas. And if we equate them, we really equate them at our peril. Zephyr, just
0: just to reality check on the point that Nadine was making about there's a point where you can shout louder than anybody else, is it just not self-evident that if one point of view has millions of dollars behind it, putting ads on television, I know you don't call those speech, that that does, in fact, drown out the other side?
2: That can only literally be true in what I assume is a hypothetical situation, that Somebody literally bought up every single minute of TV time so the other person didn't have a chance so to would respond. That not be that a problem? by the Metaphors. way, every study shows, and, and elections show, that uh, these ads reach a point of diminishing returns. You know. Do you, how often do you turn off the TV or hang up on the, on the robocalls? Uh, so the, there is a diminishing uh, marginal return from extra expenditures. And that's, why, and that's why they spend it, because they know it doesn't be work. Not persuaded just because somebody is ad- advertising more and more. Let
0: me go to another question. <clears throat> Ma'am, right up
1: there.
2: Isn't it true that no right, even a constitutional right, is absolute? Why would speech be different? Not even true. There is no right to shout fire in a crowded theater, so therefore, why wouldn't limitations on spending, even if speech be reasonable with a showing of a compelling interest?
0: Ma'am, do you think that that's what you hear this side arguing, that that the right to unlimited uh, spending on your political speech is absolute? Do you think that's what you're hearing them say?
3: Yes. Yes. Yeah? Okay.
0: (laughs) Okay. It's mine too. Uh, And I just... I want to see if are you in fact making that argument that it is absolute and there is no there are no exceptions. There is no no and, fire in and, the theater. and
2: first of all, uh, there is a right to shout fire in a theater if the theater is on fire. You want people to shout it, and by paraphrasing that the way 99 percent of people do wrongly, you miss the central point, which answers your question, which is that. Uh, only if the speech in that case is false and therefore leads to a harm, directly leads to a harm that can't be averted in any, any other way, then and only then may you restrict speech as a last resort. So if we could show that there was some uh, harm that is definitely going to occur. And can only be averted by restricting speech, uh, then we can do so. That is exactly why we can have laws against bribery, even though bribery is committed through speech, laws against extortion. But there has with all the trials, there is no evidence. That there is undue influence that causes this enormous harm that is posited. It's all speculative. That's why the Supreme Court has talked about the appearance of corruption. Because there's no evidence of actual corruption. Let's let Bert Newborn
0: respond to your point.
3: So let me tell you the two harms, Nadine. The first harm is the destruction of political equality. The fact that we, that we all know we live in a country now uh, where it is a sham to say uh, that, um, that we have a fundamental egalitarian democracy. We have a plutocracy uh, that's, that's run by the rich, and that harm seeps into every piece of our democratic uh, um, fiber, including the alienation that turns people off from democracy and keeps people from voting in the first place. And the second harm is corruption. The fact that we have um, representatives who don't have to be bribed, they don't have to be in the same room and get a quid pro quo, a wink and a nod and a day at the, at the country club, is plenty of time to, to send the message that uh, we expect you to support us on this. Okay, and I'll so... ask the last thing. Whose telephone call do they take after the election? Your telephone call or the guy that gave them $2 million? That's the corruption.
1: All right.
0: So, Nadine, you you got a direct response to your challenge. Tell us what the harms are that would justify curbing this right.
2: And And you got
0: two answers there.
2: uh, And and I disagree with both of them. And let me say that... Uh, one, so again, we've had all these trials, there's no evidence, we're just hearing conclusory allegations here, but in 100,000 pages of testimony and in, in these cases, not a single instance could be proven uh, of that kind of alleged harm, which is exactly why the Supreme Court has said, well, we can recognize just the potential appearance or the risk of harm. Another requirement, prerequisite, before limiting speech, as I said, is that the limitation is necessary. If there is a less restrictive alternative that will protect the values that are being asserted, prevent the harm, that's less restrictive of speech, you have to use that. And what we advocate, and the Supreme Court has upheld, is disclosure. And,
0: and that, that concludes and- round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is individuals and organizations have a constitutional right to unlimited spending on their own political speech. On to round three, closing statements from each debater in turn. And here to summarize her position supporting this motion, Nadine Strassen, a professor at New York Law School and former president of the ACLU.
2: Tonight's debate ultimately turns on the following question. How much faith do we have in our democratic egalitarian ideals. Are we willing to assume, as our Constitution does, that our fellow citizens can be entrusted with the right to decide which speakers and ideas to accept and which to reject? Are we really going to trust we the people? Sure, many of us have a healthy distrust of powerful, wealthy people and groups, but no one has anything approaching the power or wealth of the United States government. Here's what one judge uh, put it this way. The government has unlimited resources for touting its agenda. Those on the outside must rely on private wealth to make their voices heard. So it violates democratic, egalitarian ideals that we hear our opponents espouse for incumbents to limit what the rest of us may spend to make our voices heard. Basically you have government insiders trying to justify these limits on all of us the outsiders by speculating, well, maybe some people will have dangerous ideas or they're suspect speakers because they happen to be organized in corporate form, and that might lead to some potential appearance of corruption. But that kind of paternalism has always been rejected uh, in our free speech tradition. Uh, We can't say because the speech might lead to a risk of crime that it can be suppressed much less to an appearance of a risk of crime. And we've cited many examples where people it's it's as inaccurate and as it is insulting and condescending to say that we are automatically going to vote for the candidate who spends the most money or trust the candidate who is in the pocket of uh, high financiers. So please show your trust in the people by voting for the proposition.
0: Thank you, Nadine Strassen. Our motion, individuals and organizations have a constitutional right to unlimited spending on their own political speech. And here to summarize his position opposing this motion, Bert Newborn, a professor at NYU Law and former national legal director of the ACLU.
3: Please show your support for the people by voting against this motion, Um, because the people want these laws. Every single law that we're talking about are laws that were overwhelmingly supported by the people and overwhelmingly passed by a representative democracy. It is five members of the Supreme Court and a group of ideologues who are telling us that we cannot have these laws because there is some magic formula in the Supreme Court that tells us that our democracy has to be dominated by the rich. Floyd, correctly, because Floyd um, has values that I share. We've worked together so many times. Floyd says there's many things wrong with this country, and we should fix it. And I tell you, we can't fix it. There is no way that fixing a system that is rigged in favor of the rich, um, and if you allow the rich to control who gets elected to fix that system. Our system is broken. It's broken because a few of us have so much power that we can control what the rest of us do. Not every time, of course not every election is dealt that way, but over time uh, and through most of what we do, the rich have an immensely larger political influence than any of the rest of us. And unless we can do something about dealing with that, unless we the people can pass legislation... Uh, that will limit their ability to spend unlimited amounts to carry out their policies, those are the policies that you had better learn to live with because there will never be a representative democracy in this country that will change those policies until we change the power structure of how we run our elections.
0: Thank you, Bert Newborn. The motion individuals and organizations have a constitutional right to unlimited spending on their own political speech. Here summarizing his position, supporting this motion, Floyd Abrams, an attorney who represented the New York Times in the Pentagon Papers case, and Senator
1: Mitch McConnell in Citizens United. Floyd Abrams. I want to close with a story and a hypothetical. Suppose we had a situation in which a not-for-profit or for-profit company made a movie denouncing a leading candidate... For the presidency of the United States, suppose it were a crime for that movie to be shown on television, a crime for that to be shown on cable, a crime for it to be financed and shown in either of those places. That is what the Citizens United case was about. Those are the facts of the Citizens United case. It was a not-for-profit. It could have been a for-profit. That doesn't change what this is about. That This is a situation in which once you say that, look, we'll leave it to Congress to draw some lines, and they represent the people. Congress, after all, is doing the people's work in a representative democracy. Sometimes they are. The view of the First Amendment of Congress is, Congress is dangerous. Congress is something we need protection against. Congress is something we have to be really sure doesn't get involved with speech of anyone. And in this respect, speech includes not just individuals, but institutions, labor unions, corporations, uh, or the like. So uh, keep the government out of speech areas. That's what the First Amendment is about, and I urge you to vote yes on this proposition.
0: Thank you, Floyd Abrams. And to repeat the proposition, individuals and organizations have a constitutional right to unlimited spending on their own political speech. And here, to summarize her position against this motion, Zephyr Teachout, a professor at Fordham Law School and former national director of the Sunlight Foundation.
4: Thank you. I urge you to oppose the proposition. And I'm also going to tell a story, but it's a much more recent story. Uh, I started running for governor in New York. And so I'm sitting in my office, and I have a staff of six. And some of our job is getting on the ballot, and some of our job is me fundraising, and some of our job is talking to the press. But there's something that we talk about a lot. I, happen to, I was excited to hear you mention antitrust. I happen to care a lot about taking on the monopolies in our current system. So I am uh, actively opposing the Comcast merger. So because it is 2014 and not 1973, what we talk about is what the risk in my opposing that Comcast merger means because of the potential millions of dollars that could be spent against my campaign defaming me, telling all kinds of barely true things about me. I have to worry about these things. I have to think about what is it that I could say that the Koch brothers could spend unlimited money on I'd like to think it's not influencing me, but I will tell you it is hard for it not to influence you. It is hard not to say, I'm just going to pick one target and not tell the truth about those other targets. Because you can feel the potential power of those incredibly wealthy interests wanting to spend money to keep me quiet. So I have a commitment in the campaign, but I have an emotional experience right now of the effect of money in politics... And that's the thing the founders talked about, is how do we make our representatives care about the public? And if we don't figure out the right relationship between money and power, we are moving towards an oligarchy, not a democracy, and that is the most unconstitutional thing we could move towards.
0: Thank you, Zephyr Teachout. And that concludes our closing statements. And now it's time to see which side you, our live audience here in Philadelphia, feels has argued the best. Okay, so it's all in. You've voted twice. And remember, the team whose numbers have changed the most between the first and the last vote will be declared our winners. Our motion is this. Individuals and organizations have a constitutional right to unlimited spending on their own political speech. Before the debate, 33% of you agreed with this. 49% were against. 18% were undecided. Those are the opening results. You voted again. Now it's the team whose numbers have changed the most in the second vote. The team arguing for the motion in the second vote, 33%. They went from 33% straight (laughs) across. They picked up no percentage points. Zero is the number to beat. The team arguing against the motion, their first vote 49%, second vote 65%. They pulled up 16 percentage points. That's enough to make them a winner. The team arguing against the motion declared our winner. The motion defeated was this. Individuals and organizations have a constitutional right to unlimited spending on their own political speech. Our congratulations to that side. Thank you from me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This program was supported by the Daniel Berger Esquire Programming Fund and the Snyder Foundation and presented in partnership with Intelligence Squared U.S. at the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia. Dana Wolf is our executive producer. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Clea Chang is director of production. Chris Kamakawa is our researcher. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.iq2us.org. To hear the full unedited version or to sign up for the Intelligence Squared podcast, visit npr.org forward slash Intelligence Squared. Want to get in on the debate? Follow Intelligence Squared on Twitter and jump in on the conversation. Just go to at IQ2US. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR. Thanks for listening to the Intelligence Squared U.S. podcast. Summer is a time to discover new beaches, new adventures, and new podcasts. The TED Radio Hour, hosted by Guy Raz, is an hour of new ways to think and create with fresh approaches to old problems. Ready to explore? Dig into the TED Radio Hour podcast. Find it now on iTunes, along with other NPR podcasts.